Join Edwin Frondozo on the Business Leadership Podcast every week for a unique program featuring insights and actionable items from the world's most successful business leaders. Hear firsthand the exclusive interviews and personal journeys on how today's transformational leaders made it to the top. Uh, One thing we talk about a lot is living a, a founder's mindset. We want everyone in the company to act as if they... Uh, they founded the company and to feel that they've got the the right to make the kinds of decisions and to show the kind of hustle uh, that's associated with, with with founders. We don't want anyone to feel like they're a spoke in a in a giant wheel with no influence over where the where the business goes. This is the Business Leadership Podcast, and I'm your host, Edwin Frondozo. Welcome. How are you? How's your day going? Well, thank you for for joining me today. This is episode number 76, and I'm really excited to share the conversation I had with Jack Newton. He is the founder of Clio, one of the pioneers of cloud-based practice management, and has rapidly become the most widely used practice management platform in the world. Jack has been recognized as EY's Entrepreneur of the Year, and Clio has been recognized by many national and international awards for its culture, management, customer support, and rapid growth rate. And in our conversation, we discuss the challenges that lawyers face after leaving law school, the two decisions that Jack made to scale the company, and what the founder's mindset is and how it helped for client retention. Our sponsors today are Pungo Payments, a business payment solution that instantly sends disbursements and electronic transfers at a fraction of the cost of checks and bank transfers. The Business Leadership Podcast is a friend of the ITWC Podcast Network and supported by our media partner, IT World Canada. Now, here we go. Welcome to the Business Leadership Podcast, Jack. Thanks for having me. Jack, first off, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. But why don't we just start off by introducing yourself to our listeners today, um, tell us a little bit about who is Jack and what does he like to do when he's not growing or scaling businesses? Sure. So, uh, you know, I'm a, uh, a proud father of, of three kids. I've got uh, a nine, uh, an eight and a, a six-year-old. So it's a, a busy house. We uh, uh, live in North Vancouver and enjoy uh, jumping in the ocean when it's this time of year and enjoying the uh, the warm weather and, and getting a, a relief from the, the hot streak we've had lately. And, uh, you know, as hobbies, I, uh, I enjoy uh, photography and, uh, and camping. So, you know, between, you know, growing Cleo, uh, juggling uh, three kids and, and a couple of uh, hobbies, I, uh, I, I keep pretty busy. Well, I mean, just from the sounds of it, and for those who are listening, if you haven't visited Vancouver, Vancouver's beautiful, and it sounds like from your personal life and your hobbies, you might live in the perfect spot for photography and hiking and, and camping. So. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a pretty hard place to uh, to beat from that perspective. It's uh, you know it's a beautiful city. Uh, it, it's you know if you're interested in the outdoors, uh, I think it's a it's a tough city to beat. Uh, at least in, in in North America, you can go mountain biking uh, and skiing. You know, all in the same uh, the same day if you wanted to. Uh, in the winter here, in the summer, 
uh, unbelievable selection of hikes and lakes and uh, trails to go on. So it's 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 a definitely a, a pretty amazing place to be if you're interested in in the outdoors. Well, I am a hundred percent jealous. I mean, I'm in Toronto. I love Toronto, but I, you know, as you spoke, Jack, I was just visualizing cause I've been there. I haven't been to Vancouver in a while. I've skied, I've skied Whistler. I've, I've skied. Um, I've been there a number of times. So I just had a smile on my face as you, as you talked about Vancouver and, and the great outdoors over there. So I'm so, I'm so happy for you and, and being in that, in being in that environment. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's a really exciting place to be. You know, on the business side, I think Vancouver is uh, really coming of age uh, in terms of uh, the the technology company density that we have here. And, and, and uh, by the way, I was I was born uh, in in Toronto, so I'm very familiar with Toronto and spend uh, spend a lot of time out there as well. Uh, we've got a um, one of our offices in Toronto, and and it's a phenomenal place for. Uh, for talent, especially on the the sales and marketing side, so it's uh, a beautiful city in its own right. No, for sure, for sure, and we'll and we'll get into that as well in terms of your business. Actually, why don't we just just go right there? I mean, it's a good segue. Tell us a bit about Clio. I know, let us know maybe what you're trying to accomplish now over the next six to twelve months. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think Clio's at a really interesting uh, stage of its growth. Maybe I'll I'll back up a little bit and and just describe the trajectory we've been over the last the last decade a little bit about what Clio does and, and how we're uh, we're looking at the next year and beyond. You're at ten years uh, now, right? Yeah, we just celebrated our uh, our ten year anniversary. We launched the product as a beta uh, in March of two thousand and eight, and launched the official version of the product October first, two thousand and eight. So. Uh, we've got a really big anniversary coming up in uh, in just a, a month and a half, and it's been a, it's been a wild ride. Ten years ago, Clio was just me and my my co-founder Ryan Govro working out of our our respective homes, bootstrapping the company, and and cut to ten years later, we've raised over twenty seven million dollars of VC. We've grown the company to a business that employs over three hundred people today. Uh, and we have over uh, 150,000 users of the software uh, in over 130 countries around the world. So, really, really excited by the progress we've made over the last the last decade. And amazingly enough, I, I, I feel like we also feel like we're just getting started. Uh, yeah. We've we've just scratched the surface of what we want to do as part of our broader mission, which is our, our mission statement. By the way, is to to transform the practice of law for good. Uh, and what we have in there is, is kind of a deliberate double entendre where we, uh, we want to make a permanent impact in the world, you know, our, our dent in the universe. Uh, but we also see the legal industry as a really unique uh, beast in the sense that it's, it's an enormous industry. Uh, the, the, the legal spend uh, in the United States alone is almost $400 billion a year. Wow. Uh, so it's it's an enormous industry, but it's also one of the industries that has been the last to be fundamentally transformed by technology. If you look at other even other professions that are regarded as being slow to adopt new technology, uh, like the healthcare industry for example, uh, I think they've actually made more progress uh, over the last 100 years from a technology perspective 
than, than legal has. And what we see Clio as being a really unique uh, opportunity ahead of us for the next decade uh, is to continue that transformation uh, and, and to accelerate the transformation and, and to really drive a fundamental change in how lawyers deliver, deliver legal services to their clients uh, and also how clients find and interact with, uh, with lawyers. So we see a world where uh, lawyers will be doing most of their work in the cloud, uh, a world where a lot of lawyers will be able to work from uh, a WeWork or work from their home or work uh, you know, from, from a cafe uh, and collaborate with uh, their, their clients securely over the cloud when there's a face-to-face interaction required uh, to jump into a secure video chat. Uh, and on the on the flip side, from the consumer side of things, we've done a lot of research into into that side of things and discovered, I think, ultimately some some unsurprising trends. But you look at the the new generation of legal consumers. You look at millennials that are growing up and starting to become the largest consumers of legal services on the planet, and their expectations of what service businesses look like is framed by the likes of Uber and Airbnb. Uh, and, and Amazon, where they're expecting uh, a you know a mobile first experience, they're they're expecting the service to be delivered online uh, over the over the cloud uh, and on available on a mobile device, and that's just a radical departure from how a lot of lawyers today operate, which is uh, inviting you to uh, you know to to drive downtown and visit them in their 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 fancy downtown office building. And we think that way of working with clients is kind of in the rearview mirror and and the future world of uh, lawyers collaborating with clients uh, online, making legal services easier to access and easier to consume for uh, for consumers. Uh, And to ultimately, we hope, increase access to justice by lowering the cost structure associated with delivering legal services uh, is, is, is a world we're really excited about and what we want to realize over the next, what I just described, by the way, is you know beyond what we're just going to be pursuing in the next six to twelve months. But I think if you look at our our roadmap for the next five years, uh, it's going to be around realizing that kind of a, a growth opportunity. Where are the challenges from these from the legal side? Because so I first heard of Clio, Jack, and uh, just a little story. Uh, I run a telecommunications company, a cloud, a voice over IP, and a lot of my big customers are legal firms, and that's how I, I knew about Clio, and I was really psyched. It's a little small story to, to have Jack on the Jack on a call and interview. But I see the challenges um, because the firms are still trying to hold on to this time-based economy. But And you brought up a huge point. Millennials or, or Gen, you know, the Gen Zs that are coming in is they want this app-based service. They don't, they don't only want it now, but they want it at a better price as well. So, so where are you seeing, like, what type of the firms are, are really gravitating to these cloud-based services? So, I think we're seeing a few uh, lawyers are facing a few really meaningful challenges. I, I, I think number one, lawyers that are coming out of law school today uh, aren't trained in technology and aren't trained how to use a practice management system, aren't trained how to be an entrepreneur and to run a business. They're, they're trained uh, to be a lawyer and how to practice law and how to argue a case. Uh, but unfortunately, they come out of law school really ill-equipped to you know, being an entrepreneur and, and adapting to the needs of the marketplace. So uh, it's one of the ways we've 
framed our mission at Clio is to really be a partner to law firms to provide uh, both the software as well as the uh, the, the business uh, advice and the educational materials to uh, to deliver legal services in a way that modern consumers want to want to access them. And it's one of the reasons we started our user conference, the Clio Cloud Conference, which over the last five years has grown into uh, something much larger than a user conference. It's it's something that had over a thousand. Uh, lawyers and paralegals and uh, and legal professionals from around the world uh, descend on uh, this year's in in New Orleans uh, to learn about what the future of law looks like, and it's really exciting to be a technology company uh, blazing a trail around what the future of law looks like, and and people are looking to us for that leadership, and uh, I, I think lawyers are ready to adapt, and there's a, a whole set of lawyers that are either you know new to practice or realize that the the landscape underneath them is transforming at a really rapid pace and they need to adapt to survive and they're embracing the technology and the mindset that we're we're advocating which is uh, consumers need to be able, be able to access legal services in what we describe as an effortless way we talk a lot about effortless experiences at Clio and reducing the friction associated with finding a lawyer, working with a lawyer, collaborating with a lawyer, uh, even simple things like signing uh, documents that your uh, your lawyer might send you, trying to streamline all those processes so there aren't couriers and faxes and and wet signatures. All of, all of this can be done online through a secure client portal. Uh, also, importantly, uh, helping uh, equip lawyers with the tools to provide legal services in a way that are packaged up in the way that uh, that that uh, consumers want to consume them, and, and you touched on this uh, in your question. But there, there's a strong preference on the consumer side to have fixed rate services from from lawyers, fixed price services where you've got cost predictability. You know exactly how much it's going to cost you, for example, to get your your will, or exactly how much it's going to cost to get this house transaction, this house purchase transaction done. And, and lawyers really need to move away from the mindset they have today, by and large, which is, I charge for services by the hour, uh, into a world where they're, they're thinking about value that they're delivering and, and charging accordingly and giving consumers that cost predictability. So we think the two things are, are, are really, uh, you know, both on the technology side and the, uh, the mindset side, a really important change that we're trying to driving the legal industry, which is, uh, we think, going to transform uh, the, the practice of law uh, for good in the sense that it's going to really make lawyers easier to access, easier to collaborate with, and more accessible from a, uh, from a cost perspective. And you know, finally, on this access to justice piece, there's an enormous market uh, of four lawyers to tap into of people that uh, just view legal services as too expensive and too hard to access. And if they're able to be innovative in the way they're adopting technology, if they're able to be innovative in terms of how they're uh, improving the cost structure of their their business, and and again, one really simple uh, pivot for, for lawyers would be, maybe I don't need uh, the expensive downtown uh, real estate with you know the, the marble right. lined hallways and the oak desks and 
all the trappings of what we associate with a, a traditional law office and instead realize, you know, your clients would probably be uh, just as happy uh, meeting you in a private space at a, at a WeWork or, or better yet, maybe it's more convenient for them to have uh, a secure video chat with you from a conference room in their office uh, with you being in a conference room at a, at a WeWork or at your home. And, and, and that is one of the biggest pieces of overhead for, for lawyers, just uh, lease and real estate expenses. If they can cut those by a factor of, uh, of 10, it radically transforms the cost structure of delivering legal services uh, and, and will tap into this unbelievably large latent market that's out there for the, the taking for lawyers that are, are, uh, are willing to innovate and, uh, and try new things. There's a there's a market waiting for no, them. No, definitely, and, and it's really exciting times, especially uh, with the advent of this. So, in that conference where where you're talking about the future of the legal practice, that's that, that's super insightful. Can you remind us when that conference is and when it's happening? It's it's happening soon, actually. So I'm not sure if this this will air at the same time. Yeah, well, it's October fourth and fifth this year. Uh, it's usually in the fall. Those are the uh, specific dates for this year's conference in New Orleans. And for anyone interested in the conference, uh, feel free to uh, visit uh, cleocloudconference.com. Awesome. Well, I'll definitely make sure that we share that on the uh, on the episode website, Jack. So thank you for sharing that. Really exciting times. I just want to change gears in terms of more of of your past in terms of business leadership. And uh, specifically, I'm looking if you could share... Um, some specific key decisions that you had to make. I, I don't know. It doesn't have to specifically be within Clio or maybe before Clio that maybe a difficult decision that you had to make that allowed you to grow as a business leader. Sure. So I, I think one really key decision for, uh, for me was to raise venture capital when we, uh, and, and this is rewinding all the way back to 2009 uh, when Ryan and I started Clio, we we really had uh, embraced the 37 signals kind of mindset around uh, bootstrapping a company as being the best way of building a company. That uh, VC was uh, this insidious kind of uh, kind of evil industry, and that it, it drove all sorts of unhealthy uh, pathologies in an organization. And that you know if you can bootstrap a business do it because, you know, raising VC leads you down a a dangerous path. And, you know, it was through talking to some fellow entrepreneurs as as well as some investors in VC that, uh, you know, turn out to to not all be uh, evil, at least. Uh, And Mm -hmm. and got some really, really good advice. I I think one of the pieces of of advice or or one of the insights was uh, there's a lot of of markets, uh, especially in the software as a service industry, where there's this winner takes all or winner takes most dynamic. And, you know, the idea that you can run a nice little bootstrapped business on the side uh, and, and essentially build a, a lifestyle business uh, might be a bit idealistic because there's going to be somebody out there that raises uh, a bunch of venture capital and will be able to grow way more aggressively uh, and, and might just suck the oxygen out of the room for that, uh, that bootstrapped startup. So the idea that, you know, there's this alternate path that, uh, um, you know, is, is bootstrapped and 
doesn't involve raising external capital, at least for internet businesses, is one that I think is uh, is extremely challenging. There's exceptions to the rule, like 37 Signals uh, slash Basecamp, but I think they've got uh, a set of very unique factors playing in their favor. I think the second important insight around that um, was that with with software as a service businesses, uh, especially B two B businesses, all of your customer acquisition costs are front loaded in the sense that uh, you might make over the lifetime of a customer being with you, uh, say $10,000. But if it costs you $1,000 to acquire that customer, you've got to spend that $1,000 out of the gate uh, to make that that $10,000 over uh, over time. So you've got this kind of paradoxical quality of fast-growing B2B SaaS businesses where the faster you're growing, which is a good thing, the faster you're burning cash and and you need to have the patience to burn that cash in the short term to come out at the the end of that with a very profitable high growth trajectory, but it's going to take years to get there. And and that really is the case for for raising venture capital. And that was a real soul searching moment for for Ryan and I realizing, you know, we're we're really changing the business and changing the expectations of uh, the company and and ourselves, frankly, in raising that money. And we had to feel ready to step up to that challenge where all of a sudden we're not building a nice little lifestyle business. We're building a, a business that we want to grow to to be a billion dollar company is the kind of vision we were we were leaning into and and have leaned into over the last the last decade. So I, I think that was certainly one of the more decisive moments for for myself and uh, and for Ryan in the early days of Clio. And I, I think looking back, it was emphatically the right decision because we've been able to grow the company to uh, the by far largest player in this space, the market leader, the industry leader, uh, and have this uh, unbelievable flywheel uh, playing to our advantage where, you know, by being the biggest player in the space, by being the largest platform, by having the largest customer base, there's this really virtuous cycle, this positive feedback loop that is is driving this unbelievable flywheel for the business. And there's there's no way we could have done that without uh, without external capital. You just wouldn't be able to build that kind of business uh, by uh, by bootstrapping. I imagine, Jack, that that was, uh, I mean, being idealistic, that might have been a long decision, perhaps, <laughs> for you. For you, for you and your partner to discuss and and really dig deep internally because you have no idea where you were taking it, right? Absolutely, it, it required a lot of reflection, and I think what helped, uh, you know, was uh, you know was investors that were uh, interested in investing in the company that we had uh, full trust and confidence in. So I think that's another really important aspect of raising external capitals. You need to be exceptionally confident about the. Uh, the individuals you're you're taking on board, both the firms and the individuals at the uh, at the venture firms that are going to be engaged with you in a business, make sure that you know them and trust them because you're going to be in it with them for for the long term. It's uh, it, it's it, it's a long term relationship with uh, with really high stakes. You need to have that uh, that mutual trust. So, what do you think? For me, it was so great to sit down and discuss with Jack and hear his stories as personally I could relate 
from starting Slingshot Bootstrapped and, and being really idealistic about, about taking money. By the way, I'm not sure if you know, I recently launched a Facebook group called The Business Leadership Group where emerging leaders like yourself can learn, share, and network with each other. Join me there where I'll share daily insights, answer questions that you may have today. Go to thebusinessleadership.com slash FB group or simply search for The Business Leadership Group in Facebook itself. Now let's get back to it. One thing that just came to mind, uh, and it might be sort of my idealistic side as well, is starting bootstrapped and everything. Was was there's always a thought when when companies grow that you know there's a tendency to become like an institution. It becomes like this very hard, dampened company that that lacks inspiration. So how, how have you kept this from happening at Clio now? Now that you're over 300 people, yeah, it's it's interesting. I I think that. Even though we're uh, ten years old and uh, by by most rights uh, a fully grown company, I still describe us as a startup and very much embrace mm. the the day one kind of ethos that that Jeff Bezos talks about at Amazon, where we need to be thinking about uh, innovating and building new products, launching uh, new new products or improving existing products at a really rapid pace to, uh, to realize the, the kind of vision that we have to transform the, the practice of law for, for good. From an operating system perspective, internally, we do a few things to uh, try to ensure all 300 uh, Cleons, as we call them, feel, uh, nice. feel really <laughs> enrolled in our, our mission and empowered to to, to do great things. Uh, one thing we talk about a lot is um, living a, a founder's mindset. We want everyone in the company to act as if they, uh, they founded the company and to feel that they've got the, the right to make the kinds of decisions and to show the kind of hustle uh, that's associated with, uh, with, with founders. We don't want anyone to feel like they're they're a spoke uh, in a in a giant wheel with no influence over where the where the business goes. I, I imagine I imagine Jack when when it was early days that was very easy to to uphold that founder's mindset. So as it grown, is is this just a matter of ensuring that even though I have an idea, I do I talk to my manager? Like, um, do you have a system now that allows this this open concept to say, oh, I have a great idea. I was just on a customer floor I was just at a customer site and this idea came up like how does how do these ideas like float to the top now uh, well, one of the one of the ideas that we really embrace is that ideas shouldn't have to float to the top to to, to happen if if I need to get engaged for example uh, to sign off on, on every great idea that uh, a Cleon has uh, I'm rapidly going to become a, a bottleneck in a 300 person organization mm-hmm. and, and probably an absolute choke point at a, a thousand person organization. So some of the things we do to, to try to uh, empower everyone in the organization to make great decisions is number one, encoding our value system. And so we've, we've really carefully uh, enumerated our, our core values and uh, educated employees about those. And in fact, use them very, uh, very rigorously in our hiring process so that, when we're hiring people, we feel like they exhibit a lot of the traits that are are, are part of our, our core values. 
I'll mention a couple just to, to make it a little bit more concrete. Our core values is uh, customer success comes first. So we have a very customer-centric mindset. And if you have an idea that, uh, that, that drives that value that has a really clear positive customer outcome, you can justify investing resources in that to anybody at Clio by just saying, customer success comes first. This is the value. This is what I want to do. This is what I think the outcome will be. Help me build this. Uh, another value uh, that, that ties very nicely into that one uh, is uh, uh, based on an internet meme. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but uh, it's it's draw the effing owl. And it's, it's uh, I'm not sure how profane your podcast is, but... Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll censor myself a little bit, but but the idea is it's it's from this internet meme uh, that I just love uh, that that describes how to draw an owl. And step one of how to draw an owl says draw a circle for the head and draw a bigger circle for the body. You you, you remember these from the your childhood kind of coloring books and how to draw books. Yes. And, and step two shows this immaculate, perfectly realized owl with you know, really detailed plumage. It's like out of Encyclopedia Britannica's description of what an owl looks like. And step two's instruction is draw the effing owl. And it's very much the kind of mindset that we want clans to embody, which is if you have an idea, you know, get the high level alignment from, you know, from your manager, from your team, you know, draw the head in the circle and say, I want to build this thing. Or conversely, uh, your manager, your your leader might say, hey, here's roughly what I need you to go and accomplish. Here's the broad strokes of of, of what you need to go do. And draw the effing owl means go and figure out the details. We will not micromanage you. If you're the kind of person who needs micromanaged, Clio is definitely not the place for you because we expect people to take these open-ended projects uh, or to develop their own open-ended projects and to just go run them down in a really aggressive aggressive way. I love that meme. I just looked it up as you talk, and I'm like, that, that, I, I might just have to share that, Jack. And I might, I, I might, I might uh, credit you for sharing that with me. I, I, I wish I could take credit for inventing the meme, but uh, we've we've certainly uh, hardly embraced it at Clio. And I think it's <laughs> it's such a nice and compact way of communicating a really important part of uh, of our culture. So, so the. The core values are a really important part, I think, of seeing that culture scale and to see uh, hustle and entrepreneurship in your team, uh, even as you cross that uh, 300 person and then 500 person and, and thousand person barrier. Uh, we also, I think, have um, put a lot of energy into making it really clear what specific goals we're trying to achieve. Uh, for that, we use a system that is, uh, I think, at this point, pretty widely adopted in uh, in technology companies or some flavor uh, it, are, are pretty widely adopted of uh, what are called uh, objectives and key results or OKRs. And, mm -hmm. uh, and that system has been very powerful, powerful for us as we realized, you know, especially as we scaled from 10 people to 100 people and at 10 people, everybody kind of automatically knows what, what matters, right? You, you, every, everyone is one degree of separation away from you know, the founder and knows automatically what matters. And you almost have this hive mind uh, knowledge of, of what really matters, what your goals are, what, what the outcomes you're looking for are. And as you, as you scale to, you know, 100 people, that breaks down. And all of a sudden you have people that aren't really sure, you know, what, what matters because you've, you start having managers and, you know, kind of layers in the organization and, 
and, and you lose a bit of that, that hive mind. And the nice thing about objectives and key results is that, you know, as you start to scale, you start to grow departments, uh, you can set high level company uh, OKRs that have really specific outcomes, really quantifiable key results that you want to see as, as, as outcomes for what your, your main objectives might be. Uh, and then departments craft their own set of OKRs that map to the company level OKRs, but they're really that department's uh, contribution to achieving that larger company level OKR. Uh, and then that it can actually distill all the way down to individuals where they're looking at the department level OKRs and, and figuring out what should my individual OKR be to connect strongly with this company level OKR uh, or, or, or department level OKR and, and then company level OKR. So you have this kind of nice nesting doll kind of uh, goal system where everyone feels connected to both the company level goals and their department level goals uh, and has very concrete and quantifiable individual goals that help drive that, uh, that whole, that whole mission. So one, one of the ideas we talk about at Clio a lot is uh, loosely coupled, but highly aligned departments uh, and, and contributors to the company's mission where we don't want a lot of heavy handed top down management uh, we want people to understand what our goals are and how to achieve them. And and this OKR system lets us achieve that loosely coupled, highly aligned kind of vision in terms of, of how we execute on a day-to-day -day basis. No, thank you for sharing that. It's definitely gives a lot of perspective and things that uh, people need to be working on, especially as they're growing and scaling any, whether it's a big organization or their department and how they could instill that ensuring it lines up. I'd like to quickly just change gears. I know we're, we're probably running out of time. Uh, I'd love to get some insight or, or perhaps if you could name a person who had a tremendous impact as you as a business leader. So it could be maybe a mentor or a past business or a past boss. What, what, what did they do and how did they make that impact? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've got a lot of influences uh, on my, my leadership style over, over the years. Um, you know, I was, I was reminded of this uh, last week when it was announced that uh, um, Patrick Stewart would be launching a new Star Trek show, but um, I watched the next generation front to back when I was a kid. And I, I think there's a lot of leadership principles that uh, came out of how uh, Jean-Luc Picard approached leading a team and making tough decisions. And, you know, in some cases, you know, choosing to, to violate the prime directive in favor of what is the right decision or the right thing to do. And I, I think that that helped encode some early ideas around just how important a, you know, value system is and, you know, just just really had an early impact on on me as a you know as an individual. My other influences over the years have been you know certainly my uh, my family. You know, both my my dad and mom did an unbelievable job of setting me up to be uh, an independent uh, thinker and uh, somebody that uh, was was willing to take risks. And I, I think they really did a good job of raising me in a way without feeling like I was being set up in a box or really kind of tightly confined path in life uh, and taking a bit of a detour and mm -hmm. taking a high risk on a startup that, you know, they, they invested in the early days when I told them the way to think about investing in Clio is to imagine you're lighting whatever money you're investing on fire. You know, I said that that's really the way you should be looking at the, the money you're investing. And I, I don't want to have any awkward 
Thanksgiving uh, get togethers where, you know, we're not able to enjoy a nice dinner because you lost all your money on on this startup that will probably fail. And, and I was just really eyes wide open around that, around uh, just how likely failing was in those uh, in those those early days. Uh, I, I think other business leaders that have been big influences on me uh, include, uh, you know, Elon Musk and, and Steve Jobs. Uh, certainly, two of the the figures that are are polarizing in their own ways, but also you know just really visionary leaders that that see into the future. And I think one of the most important attributes of any any great founder, uh, especially of a, a technology company, is feeling like you can see into the future and you can help realize what that future looks like in a very uh, incremental very predictable way that you, you might see how it's going to take five years or 10 years to get there, but you drive towards that. And I think, I think Elon Musk and Steve Jobs are two great, two great examples of that. That's great. I, I love how you started with uh, Jean-Luc Picard because I grew up watching that as well. So I never even thought of that <laughs> as, as a person of leadership, but I was, it was, it was just, I was just remembering many things now too. But yeah, I was just reminded by, by that when, uh, like I said, there was, a, there was an announcement that he's doing a new show last week and I, it, it pulled all sorts of memories of that back to front of mind that it, it's probably a lot of stuff that's kicking around in my subconscious at this point, not something I think about on a daily basis, but it, it reminded yeah. me what a influential show that was. No, for sure. Fun question, Jack. If I were to ask any of your team members, business partners, investors, colleagues, past or present, what's the best leadership quality that Jack has? What do you think they would say? So, you know, it's interesting. I um, I ask for feedback from my team on a pretty regular basis. So, uh, you know, both both the good and the bad. Mm -hmm. And I uh, I'll leave out the bad stuff since you didn't ask about it. But but the good stuff, you know, I I, I get really good feedback around, uh, you know, my uh, my positivity uh, and uh, enthusiasm for for what we're doing, uh, the vision that I have for where to to take the company and, uh, you know, being good at communicating that vision, both to, uh, well, to whoever needs to hear it, whether that's, uh, new investors that we might be looking to bring on board or, uh, employees that need to understand the vision. So they re understand their, their piece in, in realizing that I think, um, you know, I do have a very clear sense of where the future of legal and where legal technology needs to go to. And, uh, you know, have, have, you know, spent a, a decade enrolling a team and helping pursue that, uh, that vision. And uh, like I said, still feel like there's a lot of work to do, but we've made, uh, some really great progress over the last, uh, the last 10 years. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. So what else before we end? I just love to give a spot if you have any other special projects. I know you, you mentioned the 10 year anniversary. That's amazing. The Clio conference that happens every fall, but is there anything fun or really exciting that you're looking, looking towards, uh, Jack? Well, truth be told, the, the Clio Cloud Conference is the thing I look forward to the most every year. It's always an epic time. We, we put a lot of effort into putting on an event that is high energy and high impact. Uh, it's definitely not what people expect from the average legal conference. We, uh, you know, we, we bring uh, a healthy dose of the, the Silicon Valley technology company conference vibe and then mix that with the best uh, that legal has to offer and uh, it's it's an incredible couple of days we're going to be launching some uh, really exciting products at this year's conference uh, we're going to be 
uh, celebrating our 10-year milestone. So there's a lot of stuff uh, in flight uh, for, for this year's conference, which is happening uh, on our, our launch anniversary. And uh, I think it'll be a phenomenal way to kick off the next, uh, the next decade of growth. Awesome. But before we end, Jack, any final thoughts, observations, ideally looking for some type of actionable recommendations for, for the emerging business leader or the, the entrepreneur that, that's listening today? Be curious. I, I think, you know, realize that there's a ton to learn uh, as a founder and as a, as a leader. And there's a lot of great resources out there. Uh, you know, be a voracious reader, find a mentor, uh, build a network of fellow founders that you can lean on and ask, uh, ask questions of and get advice from and, and give advice to. Uh, but it's it's a hard job. It's it's a lonely job in a lot of ways, uh, and building that network can be really really important. And taking advantage of the resources that out, are are out there uh, in terms of of books. Uh, you know, I, I think one one book I recommend every founder read is the the hard thing about hard things, which, which is is one of the best business books ever written, and I think one of the more real takes on what it's like to be a founder and. Uh, and to be a CEO in in both good times and bad, so I, I think uh, yeah, that'd be my uh, my advice to uh, any founder setting out on the journey. Awesome. So to wrap up, Jack, if you could just tell us where we could find more information about you, Cleo, or anything else you'd love to share to us today. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, Twitter for me is a, a great way to track what I'm up to and to uh, to engage with me. I'm Jack underscore Newton on Twitter. Uh, I uh, I talked about photography being a, a hobby. I'm I'm Newtonian uh, on Instagram, uh, and you can find more information about Clio at Clio.com, uh, and and feel free to drop me a line at Jack at Clio.com uh, anytime as well. Jack, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us on the Business Leadership Podcast. Thanks for having me. That's it, biz leaders. Thank you for joining me on the Business Leadership Podcast, episode number 76 with Jack Newton. If you want to learn more about Jack, Cleo, or anything else that we discuss, please go to thebusinessleadership.com slash 076. Our sponsors today are Pungo Payments, a business payment solution that instantly sends disbursements and electronic transfers at a fraction of the cost of checks and bank transfers. The Business Leadership Podcast is a friend of the ITWC Podcast Network and supported by our media partner, IT World Canada. And if you have not done so yet, please subscribe to the podcast on iHeartRadio, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you're listening to the podcast today. Thank you again. Edwin signing off. Thank you for listening to the Business Leadership Podcast at thebusinessleadership.com. Help me.